eyes seemed to follow me inside. Oh, excuse me. And it's a stuffed wilds board. Oh, good. Good, sweet baby puppies. Hold on now. A stuffed wild boar's head hung over this doorway. I can't do it. Everyone, I'm dying. Hello, everyone. Everybody, how are you doing? I hope everyone is doing well. I, I realize as I'm editing more and more, I say that so very much. I hope you're doing well. Because frankly, I do hope you're doing well. But sometimes I just use it as like, you know, like that's the thing that comes to mind is just like, okay, you know what? I got to think of that. I got to bring the next thing up to the <laughs> up to the forefront. And while I'm doing that, like what's on my mind? Well, I really do hope y'all are having a great week. <laughs> But I'm curious to see how y'all are doing. I'm in the midst of, let's see, trying to reorganize the place here. It's the fallout from the desk project a little bit. I've had a bit of a project putting this together um, because I didn't have the right tools and now I do. And so the desk is together. The thing about it is I've got like more than twice as much surface area on top, but the old desk had a layer underneath. It had this little sub layer and I am just shocking myself with how much stuff I had stored underneath that in that middle layer. I've got that stuff. I'm trying to move a little bit of it onto this desk, but I want to keep this pretty clear. So I've got this sort of side table shelf thing that I try to use to absorb some of the trash, some of the, the trash pile. I, I really like the whole salvage operation of it all. Um, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of work within that as much as possible. Mama Cass called it. Now it is a Sam sized desk. I'm a, I don't know if it comes across on camera. I don't know if it comes across. Um, I got pretty informal there for a second. I don't know if it comes across on the camera, but I'm a, I'm a rather large individual. Um, I am 6'3 or 6'2, depending on who you ask. If you ask me, I'm 6'2. And if you ask medical professionals, I'm 6'2. But if you ask anyone who knows anyone taller than six foot, they all tell me I'm 6'3. So I don't know if it's just by comparison or what have you. I'm just slightly taller. Maybe it's just the fact that I wear a beanie and I've got big hair. I don't know. <laughs> Shotzi says, I Sam sized. Are you Sam sized as well, Shotzi? Uh, <laughs> Both of y'all, huh? Tuna and Frizz, Sam's a big boy. <laughs> Van Saves Lies says, big hair counts as height. Yeah, I gotta, ooh, think of the, think of the, <laughs> think of the Johnny Bravo stature I could be pulling down with some real Jean-Ralphio hair if I really just pompadoured that thing up about, you know, what, two or three stories, you think? Mm. Heck yeah. Um, I also want to say thank you to uh, Shouse Tony or just S-House Tony. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that's, I'm going to say I got that pronunciation exactly right. It's Tuna says it's crazy because Sam is 6'2", but Mama Cass is 2'6". I keep, when, when Mama Cass and I go out to restaurants, I keep her in a holster. This is my girlfriend, Mama Cass. Fancy's Life says, got to do a whole lot of power stances for showers and mirrors when you're tall. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, one final one final note on this. If you are tall, you don't even realize how onerous the shower process has become. 
buy this thing for $15, $20, and you can bring it with you wherever you move, and it will help you out an awful lot. It is a shower head extender. You attach it just as a normal shower head would. You don't need any like extra crazy hardware. And then it's got this sort of extension arm and then the shower head on it. And you can take that thing and put it way up. I, I The shower head literally in, in our bathroom, it's lower than the mirror is. Get one of those things if you are tall. It is going to change the way that you shower. And now, I have to do some review. We are getting quite a lot of confusion, aren't we? We have a lot of questions, no answers. Previously on Percy Jackson. Yeah, there is there is not a lot of answer to be found right now. Um, let's start with chapter three. Grover unexpectedly loses his pants. We spend very little time with Grover in this chapter. We begin with Harry ditching Grover, as he promised he would not. He promised Grover he would allow Grover to accompany him back home, because Grover seems to be concerned about a lot of the things that are happening all around. These these mysterious appearances. I did say Harry. All right, drink your apple juice. Here, Here's what it is. Not drink your apple juice. Eat a bad bean. There we go. Eat a bean. <laughs> I really apologize for all you new folks. Some of our long-timers are going to have to explain some of this stuff. All right, eat a bean. <laughs> it's going to sound ridiculous. Percy, not Harry. Percy. Nope. No frizz. Different thing. Y'all eat one. Y'all got to eat one. There we go. Grover's worried about all these things that are happening around Percy. Um, and it seems to be culminating in this thing that they see on the bus at the end of chapter two, where these these three old ladies just snip some electric blue yarn. What's that all about? This is, <laughs> this is of course, a, a strange sequence of events, but nothing that Percy is overly concerned about. Really what he's focused on is getting home and seeing his mom. We head home with Percy. Um, he introduces us just by way of, you know, heading into the apartment to a couple of people that are important in his life, um, regardless of whether or not he wants them to be. Gabe, Gabe Ugliano, his stepfather, um, someone who has a, a bad attitude and kind of a worse smell, it seems. Uh, and then, of course, his mother, Sally Jackson, someone who is, uh, by his report, just the best person in the world. And that is a direct quote from the text. That's how good I am. I just happen to be on this page. The relationship that Percy has with his mom is one that is strained a little bit. In spite of the fact that, that Percy adores her, it's strained a little bit by the fact that Percy has a hard time completing his responsibilities. You know, uh, he, he believes that he is really hard on his mom. Um, and, and not only, you know, the way that he behaves in school, but also the way that he behaves at home with Gabe. Um, you know, he, there's a bit of a strain on that relationship, but there's a bit of excitement in the future. Sally does not, Sally Jackson, his mom, I don't know, how would y'all prefer me to, to refer to her? Um, Sally Jackson does not mention that he has been expelled, I guess is probably the most accurate way to put it. They're going on a little vacation. They're going to take uh, Gabe's car, which he complains about plenty, but they're going to take Gabe's car and head up to Montauk. There's a little cabin there. It's a dingy old spot, but I think we all have those dingy little spots that mean something terribly, terribly important to us. I certainly have had those in my past, and I think it's a familiar thing, and it's familiar for Percy and his mom, and they head out there. It's a good, good rainy time, and uh, as they talk, they get on some subjects that they've never discussed quite with this much depth before. The subject of Percy's father. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh. 
Oh, oh. <laughs> anyway, they talk about some things they'd never talked about before. For instance, Percy's father seems to have wanted Percy to go to a specific school? Not really a school, more of a summer camp. And this is strange because Percy's father never met Percy at all. Uh, we are in this sort of like comfortable scenario when, in the middle of the night, Percy and his mom, are, they're both asleep. Suddenly, there is a terrible, terrible storm outside. It wakes Percy from some bad dreams. And who is standing there at the door but Percy's friend from school, Grover? Well, he says, we have to get out right now. And something's not quite right about the way that he looks. It takes almost half a chapter to try and figure out what it is precisely that is so strange about the way that Percy is seeing Grover right now. And, well, it's because Grover does not have human legs. He doesn't have human legs! What are they? Well, they're goat's legs because Grover is a satyr. S-A-T-Y-R. He is basically from the waist up, from the hips up, he's human. From the waist down, so legs and feet and all, he has got the legs of a goat. <laughs> he's got the legs of a goat. That's pretty weird, right? Um, and this is not the weirdest thing that they find today. Um, as they take off, the three of them together, in uh, Gabe's car, they are waylaid by some massive creature. It, it seems kind of human, but much like Grover, there's something a little off, and we don't we don't find out until it gets way too close for comfort. It's because it's not entirely human either. It's got the head of a bull. Percy almost says it out loud. He's the mint something. It's a minotaur. Um, some of y'all might be familiar with these things. Some of y'all might not. But it is a human with the head of a bull. And as they try to fight just on the very edge of the property line of this summer camp, this summer camp that, that Percy never knew was a part of his past and possibly a part of his future, right on the property line there, before they can get across it. Grover is wounded and mostly unconscious. Percy gets separated from his mother and the Minotaur grabs Sally Jackson and dissolves her into this sparkle. And she's gone. Summoning the last of his strength, Percy manages to break off a piece of the Minotaur's horn, the, the bull, bull horns on top of this creature's bull head, and in just another moment has stabbed the creature, and it dissolves in sort of ashes almost, much like Mrs. Dodds did at the end of one of her very early chapters. Chapter one, chapter two? I know, Memnite, look. <laughs> don't, don't harsh my mellow about this dissolves her into this sparkle. I said what I said. Anyway, with that, um, they cross the property line, and that is just about the last thing that Percy remembers. With the exception of a familiar voice saying that he's the one. He must be. That is our review for today, everyone. Uh, I would like you all to know that um, I have been keeping an eye on some of your suggestions. Bells and Ninja... I think it was a fantastic suggestion to go sort of southern with Annabeth, but I had to avoid that one because I didn't want her to sound too much like Sally Jackson. So, I thank you very much for your suggestion. I am going to go with the suggestion kind of, it's kind of a, a, a mix-up. Holly Rose, Jade Dragon, and Soapy slash Obitofu from here on, on uh, Twitch. 
I think I'm going to go with something kind of, uh, you know, a, a little more in my head. The way I would sort of catalog it is like a little earthy, I guess I would say. But of course, Toph from The Last Airbender, maybe I know why I've got that sort of imagery. Everyone, I thank you a ton for joining us. Mirden, that is a different suggestion than I have also taken. So, so uh, I guess you've guessed another one right off the bat. Anyway, anyway, y'all, it's time for us to read... This has been wonderful, and I hope you all enjoy. Percy Jackson and the Olympians. The Lightning Thief. Chapter 5. I play Pinochle with a horse. I had weird dreams full of barnyard animals. Most of them wanted to kill me. The rest wanted food. I must have woken up several times, but what I heard and saw made no sense, so I just passed out again. I remember lying in a soft bed, being spoon-fed something that tasted like buttered popcorn, only it was pudding. The girl with curly blonde hair hovered over me, smirking as she scraped drips off my chin with the spoon. When she saw my eyes open, she asked, what will happen at the summer solstice? I managed to croak. Ah, huh? what? She looked around as if afraid someone would overhear. What's going on? What was stolen? We've only got a few weeks. I'm, I'm sorry, I mumbled. I, I don't... Somebody knocked at the door, and the girl quickly filled my mouth with pudding. The next time I woke up, the girl was gone. A husky blonde dude, like a surfer, stood in the corner of the bedroom, keeping watch over me. He had blue eyes, at least a dozen of them, on his cheeks, his forehead, the backs of his hands. And then we need a little bit of a cheddar break noise in here, don't we? Because we don't have one yet. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I have no idea what I'm going to do. That that one didn't sound quite right, though. I'm pretty confident that's not the one. When I finally came around for good, there was nothing weird about my surroundings, except that they were nicer than I was used to. I was sitting in a deck chair on a huge porch, gazing across a meadow at green hills in the distance. The breeze smelled like strawberries. There was a blanket over my legs, a pillow behind my neck. Oh, that was great, but my mouth felt like a scorpion had been using it for a nest. My tongue was dry and nasty, and every one of my teeth hurt. On the table next to me was a tall drink. It looked like an iced apple juice with a green straw and a paper parasol stuck through a maraschino cherry. My hand was so weak I almost dropped the glass once I got my fingers around it. Careful, a familiar voice said. Grover was leaning against the porch railing, looking like he hadn't slept in a week. Under one arm, he cradled a shoebox. He was wearing blue jeans, Converse high tops, and a bright orange t-shirt that said Camp Half-Blood. Just plain old Grover, not the goat boy. Okay, so maybe I'd had a nightmare. Maybe my mom was okay. We were still on vacation and we'd stopped here at this big house for some reason, and... You saved my life, 
Grover said. I... Well, the least I could do. I went back to the hill. I, I, I thought that you might want this. Reverently, he placed the shoebox in my lap. Inside was a black and white bull's horn, the base jagged from being broken off, the tip splattered with dried blood. It hadn't been a nightmare. The Minotaur, I said. Um, Percy, it isn't a good idea. Well, that's what they call him in the Greek myths, isn't it? I demanded. The Minotaur, half man, half bull. Grover shifted uncomfortably. You have been out for two days. How much do you remember? My mom? Is she really... He looked down. I stared across the meadow. There were groves of trees, a winding stream, acres of strawberries spread out under the blue sky. The valley was surrounded by rolling hills, and the tallest one, directly in front of us, was the one with the huge pine tree on top. Even that looked beautiful in the sunlight. My mother was gone. The whole world should be black and cold. Nothing should look beautiful. I'm sorry, Grover sniffled. I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm the worst satyr in the world. <laughs> he moaned, stomping his foot so hard it came off. I mean, the converse high top came off. The inside was filled with styrofoam, except for a hoof-shaped hole. Oh, sticks, he mumbled. Thunder rolled across the clear sky. As he struggled to get his hoof back into the fake foot, I thought, well, that settles it. Grover was a satyr. I was ready to bet that if I shaved his curly brown hair, I'd found tiny horns on his head, but... I was too miserable to care that satyrs existed, or even minotaurs. All that meant was that my mom really had been squeezed into nothingness, dissolved into yellow light. I was alone. An orphan. I would have to live with smelly Gabe? No, that would never happen. I would live in the streets first. I'd pretend I was 17 and join the army. I would do something. Grover was still sniffling. Poor kid. Poor goat, satyr, whatever. Looked as if he expected to be hit. I said, It wasn't your fault. Yes, it was. I was supposed to protect you. Did my mother ask you to protect me? No, but that's my job. I'm, I'm a keeper. At least I was. But why? I suddenly felt dizzy, my vision swimming. Don't. Strain yourself, Grover said. Here. He helped me to hold my glass and put the straw to my lips. I recoiled at the taste because I was expecting apple juice. It wasn't that at all. It was chocolate chip cookies. It wasn't just chocolate chip cookies. It was my mom's chocolate chip cookies. My mom's homemade blue chocolate chip cookies, buttery and hot with the chips still melting. Drinking it, my whole body felt warm and good, full of energy. 
My grief didn't go away, but I felt as if my mom had just brushed her hand against my cheek, given me a cookie the way that she used to when I was small and told me everything was going to be okay. Before I knew it, I had drained the glass. I stared into it. Sure, I had just had a warm drink, but the ice cubes hadn't even melted. Was it good? Grover asked. I nodded. What does it taste like? He sounded so wistful I felt guilty. Uh, sorry, I said. I, I should have let you taste. His eyes got wide. No, that's not what I meant. I, I just... I wondered. <laughs> Chocolate chip cookies, I said. My mom's... Homemade. He sighed. And how do you feel? Like I could throw Nancy Boba Fett about a hundred yards. That's good, he said. That's good. I don't think that you could risk drinking any more of that stuff. What do you mean? He took the empty glass from me gingerly, as if it were dynamite, and set it back on the table. Come on. Kyron and Mr. D are waiting. The porch wrapped all the way around the farmhouse. My legs felt wobbly trying to walk that far. Grover offered to carry the minotaur horn, but I held on to it. I'd paid for that souvenir the hard way. I wasn't going to let it go. As we came around the opposite end of the house, I caught my breath. We must have been on the north shore of Long Island, because on this side of the house the valley marched all the way up the water, which glittered about a mile in the distance. Between here and there, I simply couldn't process what I was seeing. The landscape was dotted with buildings that looked like ancient Greek architecture, an open-air pavilion, an amphitheater, a circular arena, except that they all looked brand new, their white marble columns sparkling in the sun. In a nearby sand pit, a dozen high school-age kids and satyrs played volleyball. Canoes glided across a small lake. Kids in bright orange t-shirts like Grover's were chasing each other around a cluster of cabins nestled in the woods. Some shot targets at an archery range. Others rode horses down a wooded trail, and unless I was hallucinating, some of their horses had wings. Down at the end of the porch, two men sat across from each other at a card table. The blonde-haired girl who'd spoon-fed me popcorn-flavored pudding was leaning on the porch rail next to them. The man facing me was small but porky. He had a red nose, big watery eyes, and curly hair so black it was almost purple. He looked like those paintings of baby angels. What do you call them? Hubbubs? No, cherubs. That's it. He looked like a cherub who had turned middle-aged in a trailer park. He wore a tiger-patterned Hawaiian shirt, and he would have fit right in at any one of Gabe's poker parties, except I got the feeling that this guy could have outgambled even my stepfather. That's Mr. D, Grover murmured to me. He's the camp director. Be polite. Uh, the girl, that's Annabeth Chase. She's just a camper, but she's been here longer than just about anybody, and you already know Chiron. He pointed at the guy whose back was to me. First, I realized he was sitting in the wheelchair. Then I recognized the tweed jacket, the thinning brown hair, the scraggly beard. Mr. Brunner, I cried. 
The Latin teacher turned and smiled at me. His eyes had that mischievous glint they sometimes got in class when he pulled a pop quiz and made all the multiple-choice answers B. Ah, Percy, he said. Now we have got four for Pinochle. He offered me a chair to the right of Mr. D, who looked at me with bloodshot eyes and heaved a great sigh. I suppose I must say it. Welcome to Camp Half-Blood. Eh, I don't expect me to be glad to see you. I uh, thanks. I scooted a little farther away from him, because if there was one thing I had learned from living with Gabe, it was how to tell when an adult had been hitting the happy juice. If Mr. D was a stranger to alcohol, I was a satyr. Annabeth! Mr. Brunner called to the blonde girl. She came forward, and Mr. Brunner introduced us. This young lady nursed you back to health, Percy. Annabeth, my dear, why don't you go and check on Percy's bunk? We'll be putting him in cabin 11 for now. Annabeth said, Sure, Chiron. She was probably my age, maybe a couple of inches taller, and a whole lot more athletic-looking. With her deep tan and her curly blonde hair, she was almost exactly what I thought a stereotypical California girl would look like, except her eyes ruined the image. They were startling gray, like storm clouds. Pretty, but intimidating, too, as if... She were analyzing the best way to take me down in a fight. She glanced at the minotaur horn in my hands and then back at me. I imagined she was going to say, You killed a minotaur, or Wow, you're so awesome, or something like that. Instead, she said, You jewel when you sleep. And she sprinted off down the lawn, her blonde hair flying behind her. So... I said, anxious to change the subject. You, uh, you work here, Mr. Brunner? Not Mr. Brunner, the ex-Mr. Brunner said. I'm afraid that was a pseudonym. You may call me Chiron. Okay. Totally confused, I looked at the director. And Mr. D, what does that stand, stand for something? Mr. D stopped shuffling the cards. He looked at me like I'd just belched loudly. Young man, names are powerful things. You don't just go around using them for no reason. Oh, right. Sorry. I must say, Percy, Chiron Brunner broke in, I'm glad to see you alive. It's been a long time since I've made a house call to a potential camper I would hate to see that I'd wasted my time. House call? My year at Yancey Academy to instruct you. We have satyrs at most schools, of course, keeping a lookout, but Groover alerted me as soon as he'd met you. I sensed you were something special, so I decided to come upstate. I convinced the other Latin teacher to uh, take a leave of absence. I tried to remember the beginning of the school year. It seemed like so long ago but I did have a fuzzy memory of there being another Latin teacher my first week at Yancey. And then without explanation, he had just disappeared and Mr. Brunner had taken the class. You came to Yancey just to teach me? I asked. Kyra nodded. Honestly, I wasn't sure about you at first. 
We contacted your mother, and to know that we were keeping an eye on you in case you were ready for Camp Half-Blood, but you still had so much to learn. Nevertheless, you made it here, alive, and that's always the first test. Grover, Mr. D said impatiently, are you playing or not? Yes, sir. Grover trembled as he took the fourth chair, although I didn't know why he should be so afraid of a pudgy little man in a tiger-print Hawaiian shirt. All right, do you know how to play Pinochle? Mr. D eyed me suspiciously. I'm afraid not, I said. I'm afraid no, sir, he said. Sir, I repeated. I was liking the camp director less and less. Well, he told me, it is, along with the gladiator fighting in Pac-Man, one of the greatest games ever invented by humans. I would expect all civilized young men to know the rules. I'm sure that the boy can learn, Kyron said. Please, I said, what is this place? What am I doing here? Mr. Br Sorry, Chiron, why would you go to the Yancey Academy just to teach me? Mr. D snorted. Yeah, I asked the same question. The camp director dealt the cards. Grover flinched every time one landed in his pile. Grover smiled at me sympathetically, the way that he used to in Latin class, as if to let me know that no matter what my average was, I was his star student. He expected me to have the right answer. Percy, he said, did your mother tell you nothing? She said... I remembered her sad eyes looking out over the sea. She told me that she was afraid to send me here, even though my father wanted her to. She said that once I was here, I probably couldn't leave. She wanted to keep me close to her. Typical, Mr. D said. That's how they usually get killed. Young man, are you bidding or not? What? I asked. He explained impatiently how you bid in Pinochle, so I did. I'm afraid there's too much to tell, Chiron said. I'm afraid our usual orientation film won't be sufficient. Orientation film? I asked. No, Kyron decided. Well, Percy, you know that your friend Grover is a satyr. You know, he pointed to the horn in the shoebox, that you have killed the Minotaur. No small feat either, lad. What you may not know is that great powers are at work in your life. Gods. The forces you call the Greek gods are very much alive. I stared at the others around the table. Hmm. I waited for someone to yell, Not! But all I got was Mr. D yelling, Oh, Royal Marys! Trick! Trick! He cackled as he tallied up his points. <laughs> Mr. D, Grover asked timidly, if you're not going to eat it, could I have your diet coke can? Eh? All right. Grover took a big shard out of the empty aluminum can and chewed it mournfully.
Wait, I told Chiron. You're telling me there's such a thing as God. Oh, well now, Chiron said. God, capital G, God, that's a different matter altogether. We, we shan't deal with the metaphysical. Metaphysical? But you were just talking about... Uh, gods, plural, as in great beings that control the forces of nature and human endeavors. The immortal gods of Olympus. That's a smaller matter. Smaller? Yes, quite. The gods that we discussed in Latin class. Zeus, I said. Hera, Apollo, you mean them? And there it was again, distant thunder on a cloudless day. Young man, said Mr. D., I would really be less casual about throwing those names around if I were you. But the, the stories, I said, the myths to explain lightning and the seasons and stuff, they're what people believed in before there was science. <laughs> science? <laughs> Mr. D. scoffed. <laughs> you tell me, Percy Jackson. I flinched when he said my real name, which I'd never told anybody. What will people think of your science 2,000 years from now? Mr. D. continued. Hmm? They'll call it a primitive mumbo-jumbo, that's what. Oh, I love mortals. Oh, they've got absolutely no sense of perspective. They think they've come so far. And have they? Have they, Chiron? You look at this boy and you tell me. I wasn't liking Mr. D much, but there was something about the way he called me mortal. As if he wasn't. It was enough to put a lump in my throat, and to suggest why Grover was dutifully minding his cards, chewing his soda can, and keeping his mouth shut. Percy, Chiron said, you may choose to believe it or not, but the fact remains that immortal means immortal. Can you imagine that for a moment? Never dying? Never fading, existing, just as you are for all time. I was about to answer off the top of my head. It sounded like a pretty good deal, but the tone of Chiron's voice made me hesitate. You mean whether people believed in you or not, I said. Exactly, Chiron agreed. If you were a god... How would you like being called a myth, an old story to explain lightning? What if I told you, Perseus Jackson, that someday people would call you a myth, just created to explain how little boys can get over losing their mothers? My heart pounded. He was trying to make me angry for some reason, but I wasn't going to let him. I said, I wouldn't like it. But I don't believe in gods. Oh, you better, Mr. D murmured. I fool one of them incinerates you. Grover said, P Please, sir. Uh, please, he has just lost his mother. He he's in shock. Uh, it's a lucky thing, too, Mr. D grumbled, playing a card. Bad enough I'm confined to this miserable job, working with boys who don't even believe. He waved his hand, and a goblet appeared. 
on the table, as if the sunlight had bent momentarily and woven the air into glass. The goblet filled itself with red wine. My jaw dropped, but Chiron hardly looked up. Mr. D, he warned, your restrictions. Mr. D looked at the wine in feigned surprise. Uh, dear me, he looked at the sky and yelled, Old habits, sorry. More thunder. <laughs> I do need a thunder sound effect of some sort, don't I? Mr. D waved his hand again, and the wine glass changed to a fresh can of Diet Coke. He sighed unhappily, popped the top off the soda, and went back to his card game. Chiron winked at me. Mr. D offended his father a while back, took fancy to a wood nymph who had been declared off-limits. A wood nymph? I repeated, still staring at the Diet Coke can like it was from outer space. Yes, Mr. D confessed. Father loves to punish me. First time prohibition. Ghastly, absolutely horrid ten years. The second time, uh, it was really pretty. I, I couldn't stay away. The second time he sent me here. Half-blood ill. Summer camp for brats like you. Be a better influence, he told me. Work with yous rather than tearing them down. <laughs> Absolutely unfair. Mr. D sounded about six years old, like a pouting little kid. And, I stammered, your father is de immortalis, Chiron, Mr. D said. I thought that you taught this boy in class. My father is Zeus, of course. I ran through D names from Greek mythology. Wine, the skin of a tiger, the satyrs that all seemed to work here. The way Grover cringed as if Mr. D were his master. You're Dionysus. I said, the god of wine. Mr. D rolled his eyes. Oh, did I say these days, Grover? Did the children say, well, duh. Yes, yes, Mr. D. Then, well, duh, Percy Jackson. Did you think I was a Aphrodite, perhaps? You're a god. Yes, child. A god, you. He turned to look at me straight on, and I saw a kind of purplish fire in his eyes, a hint that this whiny, plump little man was only showing me the tiniest bit of his true nature. I saw visions of grapevines choking unbelievers to death, drunken warriors insane with battle lust, sailors screaming as their hands turned to flippers, their faces elongating into dolphin snouts. I knew that if I pushed him, Mr. D would show me worse things. He would plant a disease in my brain that would leave me wearing a straitjacket into a rubber room for the rest of my life. Would you like to test me, child? He said quietly. No, no, sir. The fire died a little. He turned back to his card game. I believe I win. Not quite, Mr. D. 
Chiron said, and he set down a straight, tallied the points, and said, The game goes to me. I thought Mr. D was going to vaporize Chiron right out of his wheelchair, but he just sighed through his nose, as if he were used to being beaten by the Latin teacher. <sighs> he got up, and Grover rose too. I'm tired, Mr. D said. I believe I'll take a nap before the sing-along tonight, but first, Grover, we need to talk again about your less-than-perfect performance on this assignment. Grover's face beaded with sweat. Y yes sir. Mr. D turned to me. Cabin 11, Percy Jackson, and mind your manners. He swept into the farmhouse, Grover following miserably. Will Grover be okay? I asked Chiron. Chiron nodded, though he looked a bit troubled. Old Dionysus isn't really mad. He just hates his job. He's been uh, grounded, I guess that you would say. He can't stand waiting another century before he's allowed to go back to Olympus. Mount Olympus, I said. You're telling me that there really is a palace there? Well, now, there's Mount Olympus in Greece, and then there's the home of the gods, the convergence point of the powers which indeed used to be on Mount Olympus. It's still called Mount Olympus, out of respect for the old ways. But the palace moves, Percy, just as the gods do. You mean the, the Greek gods are here, like in America? Well, certainly. The gods move with the heart of the West. The what? Oh, come now, Percy. What do you call Western civilization? Do you think it's just an abstract concept? No, it is a living force, a collective consciousness that has burned bright for thousands of years. The gods are part of it. You might even say that they are the source of it. Or at least they are tied so tightly to it that they couldn't possibly fade. Not until all of Western civilization were obliterated. The fire started in Greece. Then, as you know, or I hope you know since you passed my course, the heart of the fire moved to Rome. And so did the gods. Uh, different names, perhaps. Jupiter for Zeus, Venus for Aphrodite, and so on. But the same forces. The same gods. And then... They died. Died? No! Did the West die? The gods simply moved to Germany, to France, to Spain for a while. Wherever the flame was brightest, the gods were there. They, they spent several centuries in England. All you need to do is look at the architecture. People do not forget the gods every place that they have ruled for the last three thousand years. You can see them in, in paintings, in statues, in the most important buildings. And yes, Percy, of course they are now in your United States. Look at your symbol, the Eagle of Zeus. Look at the statue of Prometheus in Rockefeller Center, the Greek facades of your government buildings in Washington. I defy you to find any American city where the Olympians are not prominently displayed in multiple places. Like it or not, and believe me, plenty of people weren't very fond of Rome either, America is now the heart of the flame. 
It is the great power of the West. And so, Olympus is here. And we are here. It was all too much. Especially the fact that I seemed to be included in Chiron's we, as if I were part of the club. Who are you, Chiron? Who am I? Chiron smiled. He shifted his weight as if he were going to get up out of his wheelchair, but I knew that was impossible. He was paralyzed from the waist down. Who are you? He mused. Well, that's the question we all want answered, isn't it? But for now, we should get you a bunk in cabin eleven. There will be new friends to meet and plenty of time for lessons tomorrow. Besides, there will be s'mores by the campfire tonight, and I simply adore chocolate. And then he did rise from his wheelchair. But there was something odd about the way that he did it. His blanket fell away from his legs, but the legs didn't move. His waist kept getting longer rising above his belt. At first, I thought he was wearing some very long, white velvet underwear, but as he kept rising out of the chair, taller than any man, I realized the velvet underwear wasn't underwear. It was the front of an animal. Muscle and sinew under coarse white fur. And the wheelchair wasn't a chair. It was some kind of container. A box. An enormous box on wheels. And it must have been magic, because there's no way it could have held all of him. A leg came out, long and knobby-kneed, with a huge polished hoof, then another front leg, and then hindquarters, and then the box was empty. Nothing but a metal shell with a couple of fake human legs attached. I stared at the horse who had just sprung from the wheelchair. A huge white stallion. But where its neck should have been was the upper body of my Latin teacher smoothly grafted to the horse's trunk. Oh, my, what's a relief, the centaur said. I'd been cooped up in there for so long, my fetlocks had fallen asleep. Now, come, Percy Jackson, let's meet the other campers. And there we are, our first chapter for the evening. Uh, by the way, to Gems, to all of our Romanian friends, hello and welcome. I hope you are all doing fantastically well. Gems, thank you a ton for passing the word around. To anyone and everyone, I appreciate it an awful lot. And if anyone else is hoping to do the same, this is the way to do it. Um, there we go. The link that has just popped up in there, that link tree slash sidecar stories, that is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash sidecar stories. It's just link tree slash sidecar stories with the dot before the two E's. Everyone, thank you a bunch for being here. What do we all think? What do we all think? So I took a bunch, a bunch of Discord suggestions for the voices. Mr. D is a very bad but developing um, Russell Brand. 
Uh, I, I went for like just very slightly nasally like his voice is, but very, very like lazy cockney, I want to say. Um, I, I tried to be versed in, I would say my, my, my dialectics are wide, but not terribly deep. So if I've gotten that a little bit wrong, I would love for clarification. If any of my UK folks could, could specify where precisely Russell Brand's voice comes from, I recognize that some of it is his own personal sort of brand, no pun intended, but that's where we landed there. Obviously, as with a lot of these, especially the feminine voices Annabeth's voice is going to develop over time I'm working on it but that was a uh, suggestion from some of our folks over in discord as well thank y'all a bunch for helping me out with that this is the sort of thing where you know I haven't had quite the same run-up to this one I had a lot of run-up for Harry Potter this one not quite the same way Supin says Annabeth's is iffy for me but I will save my judgment for later I appreciate that it's iffy for me as well just know that I'm going to be developing it I'm going to be working on it and hopefully we will sort of ease into a good place with Annabeth and uh yeah everybody some good stuff and we're finally getting some answers i think we've pretty much gotten our big overarching question answered right the big one the big one and for some of you who are familiar with this for some of you who know the sort of um you know the, the sort of series title it hasn't been sort of that much of a mind blower but but it is a clarification. We finally feel pretty certain. We know what the big mystery is here, right? This is a unification of some fascinating ideas. It is a modern day take, but within the modern day, much like Harry Potter was modern day with an undercurrent of magic, this sort of magical underworld, uh, this magical layer underneath every part of, of, uh, of your, your modern day life. This is something a bit similar, a similar idea. Underneath everyday life, there is this layer of a, a thriving Greek mythology where the, the people and the stories in these myths are thriving. And, you know, this explains a lot of the very confusing things we've been seeing, right? Um, with Grover and with Mr. D, um, and uh, especially with Grover, maybe in order sort of the stuff that's been happening, but then people, so like Grover and then maybe Mr. Brunner slash Chiron and then maybe Mr. D, but a lot of the confusion about what has been going on has been solved right here, right? We don't have all the answers yet, but we at least have the main genre of like, hey, look, all of the, all the confusion that you have right now, it will fit somewhere into this idea. Greek mythology is thriving underneath modern day life. Now, Some discussion, right? Um, I want to I want to say that there is a very like USA centric mentality here um, that I want to that I want to address for a moment. First of all, I don't necessarily agree that the that the United States is the heart of the West. However, I also don't think that the claim that they're making here is that this is necessarily a positive thing. We, I, I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with Greek and Roman mythology, but um, if you have sort of an understanding of that, you may well know that this is not like, it's not like the heart of all, it's not like saying the US is the heart of all magic. Magic, I think, has, um, well, frankly, you know, even as it's portrayed in Harry Potter, has its, its light side and its dark side as well. It is a tool like anything else, but in the same way, I would say, Greek mythology, as we are going to be exploring it here, this, this is not to say that the U.S. is like this, this over, overwhelmingly positive paragon of these ideas. It is simply to say that 
as as a I don't know as as Western civilization has developed, you know, how, how would, where would we put the headline? Again, I'm not saying I agree with this, but I did want to clarify. This is not to say that the U.S. is like, heck yeah, super super Greek. That is not necessarily super Greek mythology. Obviously, not not commenting on the country itself as it currently exists, but yes, the, this mythology is not an inherently positive thing. So, claiming that the United States is somehow intrinsically tied to it, that is not trying. To, that is not some sort of like rah 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 nonsense. So, something to keep in mind. Now, as we move forward, I think now is the perfect time to talk about it, especially because we don't know very much. We don't know very much at all, and I want to I want to hear precisely what the, what many of y'all think about this. Here's my big question, and this is going to be our our chatter break question as we move into our quick break. As per usual, I'm going to take a quick five, then I'll be right back. We'll read our second chapter. Here is our question. Remember, don't go into spoiler territory. We've got a whole we've got a whole channel over in Discord for that. PJ underscore spoilers. Head on over there if you want to talk those. I'll put the link in right now. Here is our chatterbreak question. We've had so many mysteries pop up, right? And now it's sort of like we've skipped ahead in the Sherlock Holmes stories. We've got all these different mysteries collected, and then we skip the last like 10 chapters, the last, the last 30%. Um, I don't remember how precisely chapters are are divided up in in uh, <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle books. We skip the last thirty percent of the book, and then we just read the very last chapter. So we read the first half and then the very last chapter, and that's it, right? What we've got here is all these mysteries from the first half, and then at the very end of the chapter, we have the solution, right? Here's the perpetrator. Here, here's here be who done the murder. There's my Sherlock Holmes voice, I guess, huh? Um, no, we know that the the sort of the underlying current for all of this is. Greek mythology is thriving underneath our modern life. So, my chatterbreak question is, what mysteries that you that we have observed in Percy's life and in the lives of the people around him, what mysteries do we feel are connected back in some way to Greek mythology and how? Once again, this is a non-spoiler territory. This is just for us to have a good time with some speculation, trying to see if we've picked up on any of the things that that uh, Rick, our, our esteemed author, has discussed so far. Everybody, I think Luke has brought up an excellent one already, um, but we're going to be talking about those more when I get back from the break. So everyone, talk amongst yourselves. I will be right back. We're going to take a five minute break and then we'll be back for a second chapter for the night. Um, but before that, we'll be doing a review. And before that, we'll be talking about our chatter break question. I will see you in five minutes. Goodbye. I, I really am hoping that that transition is working for y'all when, when it, here, oh wait, shoot, I just missed my chance to find out, didn't I? Anyway, um, when I transfer over between scenes, does the music hard cut or does it, does it fade off like it's supposed to? Because if it doesn't fade off, <laughs> fade, fade off, if it doesn't fade off, I'm going to be really annoyed. I'm going to have to figure out what's going on there. Um, Anyway, everyone, welcome back. Uh, of course, for anyone who doesn't know, my name is Sam and this is Sidecar Stories. I hope you've been enjoying this chapter thus far. Um, we have got uh, a second chapter ready to go. But first, we have got... Yeah, it was really five minutes, Glendog. Indeed it was. Um, first, we have got our review. But first, we have got 
our Chatterbreak question. The Chatterbreak question is, knowing now that we've got all this Greek mythology and the, this is maybe going to be the answer to a lot of the questions that we have had recently about what on earth is going on in Percy Jackson's life, where do we see some connections? Luke Stoltzfus says, so I'm not a big Greek mythology guy. Neither am I. I'm discovering a lot of this new, which is is fun. I wonder if it would be more fun, but of course there's no way to experience it both ways. Um, is anyone here really into it? Is your knowledge of mythology spoiling anything for you? Um, yeah, you know what? I'm going to put a poll in chat right now because I've actually, I'm, I'm curious about that. How familiar are you with Greek myth? Yeah, uh, none. Uh, kinda. Pretty, pretty tuned in. Or totally, uh, totally geeked out. Or totally greeked out. There we go. <laughs> what mysteries has Percy experienced that could be explained by Greek mythology? A list. Shotzi says, the creepy ladies with the yarn. Yes, anyone who knows a little bit about, um, uh, I, I believe their names have been mentioned already, but we're going to be finding out about them specifically. Remember remember what they were up to. They, they had grabbed, they were, there were three of them. They're these old ladies, and they're working with this yarn, kind of doing some knitting. Uh, and then... One of the lines got snipped, and and Grover seemed to have a pretty serious uh, reaction to that. Um, Gems says, well, shoot, just the simple fact that he's so linked to storms, they do seem to be popping up, right? We saw we saw the, the mystery storm sprouting up uh, in Montauk, uh, where it shouldn't have been, not at this time of year. All the storms echoes Memnite, indeed. Witch Hazel says, I don't even know how to answer this without spoilers. Yes, indeed. And Swan Song, I think you've got the right idea about that, uh, about the cutting of that yarn. Courtney says, I think we can all agree. Mrs. Dodds and people not remembering who Mrs. Dodds was, was definitely something connected to Greek mythology. Yeah, what on earth was Mrs. Dodds? What are you, Mrs. Dodds? What do we have from you? Um, let's see. I've got a report that I'm a bit blurry. I'm sure that I am. That's just, that's actually just my natural state, believe it or not. I just exist perpetually blurred out. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> now this is on the move. That's no good. Here we go. Let's try to, actually, you know what? I could just, there it is. Control Z. Uh, yes, I am a computer whiz. You can call me up for any of your computer problems. <laughs> Jem says, I mean, if you don't know, a guess is a guess. It's fun to chat. Yes, indeed it is. Supin says, yeah, make sure you aren't spoiling anything. It's it's difficult territory, I recognize. But of course, as we're discussing these books, a lot of the folks here have are, are familiar with these. So I do apologize for everyone who's trying to just talk about these. Again, we've got the PJ Spoilers channel over in Discord where you can have spoiler discussions to your heart's content. Mirden says, are the Chatterbreaks going to be renamed the Greek Chorus? And that is just not a very bad idea. Now, is it? That's just a pretty good one. Hmm. Hmm. I don't... Who put the cladding gladiator? I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull something... Well, I could just do that every time, couldn't I? <laughs> I could just, every single time we go into a chatter break, just just launch into who put the glad in gladiator. Would that be, would that be good? Is that a thing that people want? Yikes. <laughs> I mean, it would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? Although I think it would be startling, especially for some of our listeners who uh, maybe use this to fall asleep, perhaps. Swansong says uh, she was a harpy. 
Interesting. Interesting. Of course, I do, I do know some of the answers here. I'm trying not to give too much away. Uh, Fabriola says, I feel like 50% of my Greek mythology knowledge is from books that are based on Greek myth. Percy Jackson, but others too. So... Uh, do I know the OG stories, the original stories? Debatable. And that's, yeah, that's a great question, uh, Fabriella. And I think we may be starting to get into the heart of, of, of that as an idea. Uh, and this is, this is one of the things I want to talk about before we go into our review and then we read our next chapter for today. This idea of how stories change in the retelling, I think, may end up being an important part of what we find here today. Uh, what we find in this book. Um, uh, if it's not, it's certainly something that I like to explore in uh, things like Dungeon World, um, and it's absolutely something that has been explored deeply in uh, Where Water Tastes Like Wine, that, that game that we've played on and off. Um, this idea that things, the stories that we hear are not necessarily faithful reproductions or depictions of the things that we're hearing about, right? Some of these stories about Dionysus, they may change over time, and part of that change is being interpreted in these ways. So whether or not you know the original stories, perhaps not, but you now know the next iteration of this story, of this tradition of Greek myths. Now Rick Reardon has had a, a massive part in the telling of that story over time. Oh, that's interesting. So, so most of our folks are at, a, a we're at 50%, a strong kinda. So yeah, overall, like I would say like, Toward, toward the unfamiliar side of things, it seems. Thank you all for voting in that, by the way. We're almost exactly half of us voted for kinda, eh, sort of. Luke Soltz, who says, sorry, I read Homer's The Iliad and the Odyssey. Yes, that's something that, that's one of those like long-term goals for here on the channel is to eventually read something like that um, because those those older and more dense read-throughs, uh, things that are translated from from uh, Greek, uh, basically things that use the, uh, 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 um, Shakespeare. It's another great example, but, but things that use some language that is just really hard to get to, they benefit so much from intonation. This is one of the things that I realized in high school. Part of the reason I'm doing this here is that when we don't understand something, hearing how it's said can be almost as important as the words that we read themselves. Um, so that's, you know, again, I would love to do some Shakespeare. I think that's probably a little closer on the horizon than the Odyssey, but I would love to get there as well. So... With all of this said, <laughs> Luke says, Shakespeare way before Homer, please. Um, Rowlett says, I think I just found out Zeus and Hera were siblings. Their mother was Rhea, according to Wikipedia. Is this real? Is that real? Is that real? Um, your guess is as good as mine, especially because I'm trying not to spoil anything right now. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's see, anything else? Emily Lou says, that's the point of folklore. It's changing over time with each retelling. Yeah, and it's so funny to think that, you know, this person, this person who I believe was born in Texas, Rick, Rick Reardon, um, has had, you know, such a uh, an enormous impact on the next, the next evolution, like Pokemon or something, the next evolution of Greek mythology, because now it is going to be living in a whole new gener generation of people. Those stories are there, but they're changed in his retelling. Very, very interesting stuff. And this is the sort of thing I really like. Um, if y'all wanted a um, <laughs> a heading to put all that under, I don't know if we could go with a real clean one. Buckle up. Thank you all very much for riding the sidecar with me. Shotzi's making up a character named Mrs. Dodds. I see. <laughs> don't know what her game is. Yeah, we had Mrs. Care, right? Mrs. Care, K-E-R-R. -R. She's been our teacher since the beginning of the year. All right. <laughs> 
Van Saves Lives is a method reader. Everybody, I really, really appreciate y'all being here. Let's talk review. In our first chapter of the evening, we have had a lot of questions answered. Not in specific ways, just in a general way so far, and I think we're going to get more and more specifics as time goes on. But Percy wakes up. Percy wakes up, and Grover pretty immediately leads him to a game of Pinochle. The setting is as follows. I sound like such a, like a big dweeb boy running a game of D&D. Some real old school stuff. That's fine. The setting is as follows. <clears throat> they are on somewhere on the north shore of Long Island, it seems. Um, and for those of you who are not super familiar, uh, we can see the coast out, uh, out beyond. We're at this big valley. There are some rolling hills nearby. But the strange thing about this particular valley is that there's a lot of Greek architecture here. Strange, right? Um, it all looks very new and it seems kind of out of place. Um, what, what does all this mean? Well, uh, Percy does not get immediate answers about this. He sits down at this card game with Chiron, Grover, and Mr. D. We know Grover. We know Chiron as Mr. Brunner. This is, you know, Percy's favorite teacher, his Latin teacher from school, and uh, he is in a wheelchair. We meet Mr. D, who is the camp director. Mr. D, he's, uh, he's uh, got a really bad attitude. He's uh, just not really the sort of person that you want to spend much time with, is he? No, he's not. Um, he does not seem to be very happy here, um, and we find out slowly why. Um, it seems that he has been tasked with taking care of this camp against his own will, perhaps as a result of a, a tryst with a wood nymph. A wood nymph, huh? Mysteries compound. But it seems that his father has banished him here to take care of this job. Meanwhile, um, we learn more about Mr. Brunner. Mr. Br Brunner's real name is Chiron, um, and you know, Grover being a satyr, um, all of this conspires to one inevitable conclusion that Mr. Brunner slash Chiron really has to lay out for Percy, which is, well, we've already talked about it. Greek mythology is thriving underneath modern day life. And as we learn more about this, just a bit more, we find that Mr. D might not be everything that he seems. He might actually not just be a petulant middle-aged man, he might really be Dionysus, the god of wine. Someone with immense power compared to how he appears. Um, Chiron, uh, we find at the very end of the chapter, is none other than a centaur. Um, this is a half-human, half-horse, and all of these folks are much older than they appear, some of them by millennia, like Mr. D. All of these things to say that the mysteries, some of them have been explained, some of them we've gotten hints for, and some are much, much deeper than we could have thought. Everyone, I appreciate y'all being here, and I think it's time to move to our next chapter, don't you? Jem says, it's straight up messed up. Rowlett says, but I guess normal up there? It's a small community. Um, Greek family trees go straight up. <laughs> Um, yes, so it, because of the, the sort of origins of the, the, the Greek pantheon, things do look very strange in those family trees, don't they? Um, and not just, not just 
their structure, but how they work. You know, in in a in a normal mortal family tree, that line represents, uh, you know, having a child. It can represent it can represent some weird stuff in like like where do where do people come from? How are they generated in the Greek mythology? It gets weirder and weirder. So, um, basically, Percy wakes up. Greek mythology is real. Welcome to summer camp, everybody. <laughs> that, was, that was that. Look, I made myself laugh a little bit. Don't ask Cass about that. She'll tell you I do it all the time, and it's it's simply true and embarrassing. I'll tell you you're the funniest person you know. Hey. That's what I'll tell Of course I am. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 6. I become the supreme lord of the bathroom. (laughs) Once I got over the fact that my Latin teacher was a horse... We had a nice tour, even though I was careful not to walk behind him. I, I had done Pooper Scooper Patrol on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade a few times, and I'm sorry, I did not trust Kyron's back end the way I trusted his front. We passed the volleyball pit. Several of the campers nudged one another. One pointed to the minotaur horn I was carrying. Another said, hey, that's him. Most of the campers were older than me. Their satyr friends were bigger than Grover, all of them trotting around in orange camp half-blood t-shirts with nothing else to cover their bare shaggy hindquarters i wasn't normally shy but the way that they stared at me made me uncomfortable i felt like they were expecting me to do a flip or something i looked back at the farmhouse it was a lot bigger than i'd realized four stories tall sky blue with white trim like an upscale seaside resort i was checking out the brass eagle weather vane on top when something caught my eye a shadow in the uppermost window of the attic gable. Something had moved the curtain just for a second, and I got the distinct impression I was being watched. What's up there? I asked Chiron. He looked where I was pointing, and his smile faded. Just the attic. Somebody lives there? No, he said with finality. Not a single living thing. I got the feeling he was being truthful, but I was also sure something had moved behind that curtain. Come along, Percy, Chiron said, his light-hearted tone now a little forced. Lots to see. We walked through the strawberry fields, where campers were picking bushels of berries with a satyr playing a tune on a reed pipe. Kyron told me that the camp grew a nice crop for export to New York restaurants in Mount Olympus. It pays our expenses, he explained, and the strawberries take almost no effort. He said Mr. D had this effect on fruit-bearing plants. They just went crazy when he was around. It worked best on wine grapes, but Mr. D was restricted from growing those, so they grew strawberries instead. I watched the satyr playing his pipe. His music was causing... Lines of bugs to leave the strawberry patch in every direction, like refugees fleeing a fire. I wondered if Grover could work that kind of magic with music. I wondered if he was still inside the farmhouse getting chewed out by Mr. D. Grover won't get into too much trouble, will he? I asked Chiron. I mean, he he was a good protector, really. Chiron sighed. He shed his tweed jacket and draped it over his horse's back like a saddle. 
Grover has big dreams, Percy. Bigger, perhaps, than is reasonable. To reach his goal, he must first demonstrate great courage by succeeding as a keeper, finding a new camper and bringing him safely to Half-Blood Hill. But he did do that. I might agree with you, Chiron said, but it is not my place to judge. Dionysus and the Council of Cloven Elders must decide. I'm afraid they might not see this assignment as a success. After all, Grover lost you in New York, and then there's the unfortunate uh, fate of your mother, and the fact that Grover was unconscious when you dragged him over the property line. The council might question whether this shows any courage on Grover's part. I wanted to protest. None of what happened was Grover's fault. I also felt really, really guilty. If I hadn't given Grover the slip at the bus station, he might not might not have gotten in trouble. He'll get a second chance, won't he? Chiron winced. I'm afraid that was Grover's second chance, Percy. The council has not... Mm, they've not been anxious to give him another, either. After what happened the first time, five years ago. Olympus knows I advised him to wait longer before trying again. He's still so small for his age. How old is he? Oh, uh, twenty-eight. What? And he's in sixth grade? Satyrs mature half as fast as humans, Percy. Grover has been the equivalent of a middle school student for the past six years. That's horrible. Quite, Chiron agreed. At any rate, Grover is a late bloomer, even by Satyr standards, and not yet very accomplished at woodland magic. Alas, he was anxious to pursue his dream. Perhaps now he will find some other career. Well, that's not fair, I said. What happened the first time? Was it really so bad? Chiron looked away quickly. Let's move along, shall we? But I wasn't quite ready to let the subject drop. Something had occurred to me when Chiron talked about my mother's fate, as if he were intentionally avoiding the word death. The beginnings of an idea, a tiny, hopeful fire, started forming in my mind. Chiron, I said, if the gods and Olympus and all are real... Yes, child. Does that mean that the underworld is real, too? Chiron's expression darkened. Yes, child... He paused, as if choosing his words carefully. There is a place where spirits go after death. But for now, until we know more, I would urge you to put that out of your mind. What do you mean, until we know more? Come, Percy, let's see the woods. Thunder, thunder, thunder. <laughs> is a chapter break. As we got closer, I realized how huge the forest was. It took up at least a quarter of the valley, with trees so tall and thick you could imagine nobody had been there since the Native Americans. Chiron said, The woods are stocked if you care to try your luck, but go armed. Stocked with what? I asked. Armed with what? 
You'll see. Capture the flag is Friday night. Do you have your own sword and shield? My own? No, Karen said. I don't suppose you do. I think size five will do. I'll visit the armory later. I wanted to ask what kind of summer camp had an armory, but there was too much else to think about. So the tour continued. We saw the archery range, the canoeing lake, the stables, which Karen didn't seem to like very much, the javelin range, the sing-along amphitheater, and the arena, where Karen said they held sword and spear fights. Sword and spear fights? I asked. Cabin challenges and all that, he explained. Not lethal, usually. Oh, yes, there's the mess hall as well. Chiron pointed to an outdoor pavilion framed in white Grecian columns on a hill overlooking the sea. There were a dozen stone picnic tables. No roof. No walls. What do you do when it rains? I asked. Chiron looked at me as if I'd gone a little weird. We still have to eat, don't we? I decided to drop the subject. Finally, he showed me the cabins. There were twelve of them, nestled in the woods by the lake. They were arranged in a U, with two at the base and five in a row on either side, and they were, without a doubt, the most bizarre collection of buildings I had ever seen. Except for the fact that they each had a large brass number above the door, odds on the left-hand side, evens on the right, they looked absolutely nothing alike. Number nine had smokestacks, like a tiny factory. Number four had tomato vines on the walls and a roof made out of real grass. Seven seemed to be made of solid gold, which gleamed so much in the sunlight it was almost impossible to look at. They all faced a commons area about the size of a soccer field, dotted with Greek statues, fountains, flower beds, and a couple of basketball hoops, which were more my speed. In the center of the field was a large, stone-lined fire pit. Even though it was a warm afternoon, the hearth smoldered. A girl about nine years old was tending the flames, poking the coals with a stick. A pair of the cabins at the head of the field, numbers one and two, looked like his and hers mausoleums. Big white marble boxes with heavy columns in front. Cabin one was the biggest and bulkiest of the twelve. Its polished bronze doors shimmered like a hologram, so that from different angles, lightning bolts seemed to streak across them. Cabin two was much more graceful somehow, with slimmer columns garlanded with pomegranates and flowers. The walls were carved with images of peacocks. Zeus and Hera, I guessed. Correct, Chiron said. Their cabins look empty. Several of the cabins are, that's true. No one ever stays in one or two. Okay, so each cabin had a different god like a mascot. Twelve cabins for the twelve Olympians. But why would some be empty? I stopped in front of the first cabin on the left, cabin three. It wasn't high and mighty like cabin one, but long and low and solid. The outer walls were of rough gray stone studded with pieces of seashell and coral, as if the slabs had been hewn straight from the bottom of the ocean floor. I peeked inside the open doorway, and Chiron said, oh, I, I wouldn't do that. Before he could pull me back, I caught the salty scent of the interior, like the wind on the shore at Montauk. The interior walls glowed like abalone. 
There were six empty bunk beds with silk sheets turned down, but there was no sign anyone had ever slept here. The place felt so sad and lonely. I was glad when Chiron put his hand on my shoulder and said, Come along, Percy. Most of the other cabins were crowded with campers. Number five was bright red, a real nasty paint job as if the color had been splashed on with buckets and fists. The roof was lined with barbed wire. A stuffed wild boar's head hung over the doorway, and its eyes seemed to follow me. Inside I could see a bunch of mean-looking kids, both boys and girls, arm-wrestling and arguing with one another while loud rock music blared. The loudest was a girl maybe thirteen or fourteen. She wore a size XXXL Camp Half-Blood t-shirt under a camouflage jacket. She zeroed in on me and gave me an evil sneer. She reminded me of Nancy Bobafit, though the camper girl was much bigger and tougher looking, and her hair was long and stringy and brown instead of red. I kept walking, trying to stay clear of Chiron's hooves. We haven't seen any other centaurs. No said Chiron sadly. My kinsmen are a wild and barbaric folk, I'm afraid. You, you might encounter them in the wilderness or at major sporting events, but you won't see any here. You said... You said your name was Chiron. Are you really... He smiled down at me. The Chiron from the stories. Trainer of Hercules and all that. Yes, Percy, I am. But shouldn't you be dead? Karen paused as if the question intrigued him. I honestly don't know about should be. The truth is, I can't be dead. You see, eons ago, the gods granted my wish. I could continue the work that I loved. I could be a teacher of heroes as long as humanity needed me. I gained much from that wish. And I gave up much. But I'm still here, so I can only assume I'm still needed. I thought about being a teacher for 3,000 years. It wouldn't have made my top ten list. Does it ever get boring? No, no. Horribly depressing at times, but never boring. Why depressing? Chiron seemed to turn hard of hearing again. Oh, look, he said. Annabeth is waiting for us. The blonde girl I'd met at the big house was reading a book in front of the last cabin on the left, number 11. When we reached her, she looked over me critically, like she was still thinking of how much I drooled. I tried to see what she was reading, but I couldn't make out the title. I thought my dyslexia was acting up. Then I realized the title wasn't even English. The letters looked Greek to me. I mean, literally Greek. There were pictures of temples and statues and different kinds of columns like those in an architecture book. Annabeth, Chiron said, I have Master's Archery class at noon. Would you please take Percy from here? Yes, sir. Cabin 11, Chiron told me, gesturing toward the doorway. Make yourself at home. 
Out of all the cabins, Eleven looked like a regular old summer camp cabin, with the emphasis on old. The threshold was worn down, the brown paint peeling. Over the doorway was one of those doctor's symbols, a a winged pole with two snakes wrapped around it. What did they call it? A caduceus. Inside, it was packed with people, both boys and girls, way more than the number of bunk beds. Sleeping bags were spread all over the floor. It looked like a gym where the Red Cross had set up an evacuation center. Chiron didn't go in. The door was too low for him, but when the campers saw him, they all bowed and stood there respectfully. Well then, Chiron said, good luck, Percy. I'll see you at dinner. He galloped away toward the archery range. I stood in the doorway, looking at the kids. They weren't bowing anymore. They were staring at me, sizing me up. I knew this routine. I'd gone through it at enough schools. Well, Annabeth prompted, go on. So naturally, I tripped, coming in, and made a total fool of myself. There were some snickers from the campers, but none of them said anything. Annabeth announced, Percy Jackson, meet Cabin Eleven. Hey, regular or undetermined? Somebody asked. I didn't know what to say, but Annabeth said, Undetermined. Everybody groaned. A guy who was a little older than the rest came forward. Now, now, campers, that's what we're here for. Welcome, Percy. You can have that spot on the floor right over here. The guy was about 19, and he looked pretty cool. He was tall and muscular, with short-cropped sandy hair and a friendly smile. He wore an orange tank top, cutoffs, sandals, and a leather necklace with five different colored clay beads. The only thing unsettling about his appearance was a thick white scar that ran just underneath his right eye to his jaw, like an old knife slash. This is Luke, Annabeth said, and her voice sounded different somehow. I glanced over and could have sworn she was blushing. She saw me looking, and her expression hardened again. He's your counselor for now? For now? I asked. You're undetermined, Luke explained patiently. They don't know what cabin to put you in, so you're here. Cabin 11 takes all newcomers, all visitors. Naturally, we would. Hermes, our patron, is the god of travelers. I looked at the tiny section of floor they'd given me. I had nothing to put there to mark it as my own. No luggage, no clothes, no sleeping bag. Just the Minotaur's horn. I thought about setting that down, but then I remembered Hermes is also the god of thieves. I looked around the campers' faces, some sullen and suspicious, some grinning stupidly, some eyeing me as if they were waiting for a chance to pick my pockets. How long will I be here? I asked. That's a good question, Luke said. Until you're determined. How long will that take? The campers all laughed. Come on, Annabeth told me. I'll show you the volleyball court. I've already seen it. Come on, 
She grabbed my wrist and dragged me outside. I could hear the kids of Cabin 11 laughing behind me. When we were a few feet away, Annabeth said, Jackson, you have to do better than that. What? She rolled her eyes and mumbled under her breath, I can't believe I thought you were the one. Hey, what's your problem? I was getting angry now. All I know is I kill some bull guy. Don't talk like that, Annabeth told me. You know how many kids at camp wish that they had had your chance? What, to get killed? To fight the Minotaur? What do you think we train for? I shook my head. Look, if the thing that I fought really was the Minotaur, the same one that's in the stories, yes, then there's only the one. Yes. And he died like a gajillion years ago, right? Theseus killed him in the labyrinth, so... Monsters don't die, Percy. They can be killed, but they don't die. Well, thanks. Yeah, that clears it up. They don't have souls like you and me. You can dispel them for a while, maybe even for a whole lifetime, if you're lucky. But they are primal forces. Chiron calls them archetypes. Eventually, they reform. I thought about Mrs. Dodds. You mean that if I killed one accidentally with a sword? If you're, I mean, your math teacher? That's right. She's still out there. You just made her very, very mad. How do you know about Mrs. Dodds? You talk in your sleep? You almost called her something. A, a fury? They're Hades torturers, right? Annabeth glanced nervously at the ground as if she expected it to open up and swallow her. You shouldn't call them by name, even here. We call them the kindly ones if we have to speak about them at all. Look, is there anything that we can say without it thundering? I sounded whiny even to myself, but right then I didn't care. Why do I have to stay in cabin 11 anyway? Why is everybody so crowded together? There's plenty of empty bunks right over there. I pointed to the first few cabins, and Annabeth turned pale. You don't just choose a cabin, Percy. It depends on who you are, who your parents are, or your parent. She stared at me, waiting for me to get it. My mom is Sally Jackson, I said. She works at the candy store in Grand Central Station. At least she used to. I'm sorry about your mom, Percy, but that's not what I mean. I'm talking about your other parent, your dad. He's dead. I never knew him. Annabeth sighed. Clearly, she'd had this conversation before, with other kids. Your father's not dead, Percy? How could you say that? Did you know him? Of course not. Then how can you say, because I know you? He wouldn't be here if it weren't for... Well, if you weren't one of us, you don't know anything about me. No? She raised an eyebrow. I bet you moved around a lot from school to school. I bet you were kicked out of a lot of them. How? Diagnosed with dyslexia? Probably ADHD, too. I tried to swallow my embarrassment. What does that have to do with anything? Taken together, it's almost a sure sign. The letters float off the page when you read, right? 
That's because your mind is hardwired for ancient Greek and the ADHD. You're impulsive. You can't sit still in the classroom. That's your battlefield reflexes. In a real fight, they'll keep you alive. As for the attention problems, that's because you see too much, Percy. Not too little. Your senses are better than a mere mortal's. Of course, the teachers want you medicated. Most of them are monsters. They don't want you seeing them for what they are. You sound like you went through the same thing. Most of the kids here did. If you weren't like us, you couldn't have survived the Minotaur. Much less the Ambrosia and Nectar. Ambrosia and Nectar. The food and drink we were giving you to make you feel better. That stuff would have killed a normal kid. Would have turned your blood into fire and your bones to sand and you'd be dead. Face it. You're a half-blood. A half-blood. I was reeling with so many questions I didn't know where to start. And then a husky voice yelled, well, a newbie! I looked over. The big girl from the ugly red cabin was sauntering towards us. She had three other girls behind her, all big and ugly and mean-looking like her, all wearing camo jackets. Clarice, Annabeth sighed, why don't you go polish your spear or something? Sure, Miss Princess, the big girl said, so I can run you through with it on Friday night. Erakogras, Annabeth said, which I somehow understood as Greek for go to the crows. Even though I had a feeling it was a worse curse than it sounded. You don't stand a chance. We'll pulverize you, Clarice said, but her eye twitched. Perhaps she wasn't sure she could follow through with her threat. She turned toward me. Who's this little runt? Percy Jackson, Annabeth said. Meet Clarice, daughter of Ares. I blinked. What, like like the, the war god? Clarice sneered. You got a problem with that? No, I said, recovering my wits. Just explains the bad smell. Clarice growled. We got an initiation ceremony for newbies, Prissy. Percy. Whatever, come on, I'll show you. Clarice, Annabeth tried to say. Stay out of it, wise girl. Annabeth looked pained, but she did stay out of it, and I didn't really want her help. I was the new kid. I had to earn my own rep. I handed Annabeth my minotaur horn and got ready to fight, but before I knew it, Clarice had me by the neck and was dragging me toward a cinder block building I knew immediately was the bathroom. I was kicking and punching. I'd been in plenty of fights before, but this Big girl Clarice had hands like iron. She dragged me into the girls' bathroom. There was a line of toilets on one side and a line of shower stalls on the other. It smelled just like any public bathroom, and I was thinking, as much as I could think, with Clarice ripping my hair out, that if this place belonged to the gods, they should have been able to afford classier Johns. Clarice's friends were all laughing, and I was trying to find the strength I used to fight the Minotaur, but it just wasn't there. Yeah, like he's big three material, Clarice said as she pushed me toward one of the toilets. Yeah, right. Minotaur probably fell over laughing. He was so stupid looking. 
Her friends snickered. Annabeth stood in the corner, watching through her fingers. Clarice bent me over on my knees and started pushing my head toward the toilet bowl. It reeked like rusted pipes and, well, like what goes into the toilets. I strained to keep my head up. I was looking at the scummy water, thinking, I will not go into that. I won't. And then something happened. I felt a tug in the pit of my stomach. I heard the plumbing rumble, the pipes shudder. Clarice's grip on my hair loosened. Water shot out of the toilet, making an arc straight over my head, and next thing I knew, I was sprawled on the bathroom tiles with Clarice screaming behind me. I turned just as the water blasted out of the toilet again, hitting Clarice straight in the face so hard it pushed her back down onto her butt. The water stayed on her like spray from a fire hose, pushing her backward into a shower stall. She struggled, gasping, and her friends started coming toward her, but then the other toilets exploded too, and six more streams of toilet water blasted them back. The showers acted up too, and together all the fixtures sprayed the camouflage girls right out of the bathroom, spinning them around like pieces of garbage being washed away. As soon as they were out the door, I felt the tug on my gut loosen, and the water shut off as quickly as it had started. The entire bathroom was flooded. Annabeth hadn't been spared. She was dripping wet, but she hadn't been pushed out the door. She was standing in exactly the same place, staring at me in shock. I looked down and realized I was sitting in the only dry spot in the whole room. There was a circle of dry floor around me. I didn't have one drop of water on my clothes. Nothing. I stood up, my legs shaky. Annabeth said, How did you... I don't know. We walked to the door. Outside, Clarice and her friends were sprawled in the mud and a bunch of other campers had gathered around to gawk. Clarice's hair was flattened across her face. Her camouflage jacket was sopping and she smelled like sewage. She gave me a look of absolute hatred. You are dead, new boy. You are totally dead. I probably should have let it go, but I said, You want to goggle the toilet water again, Clarice? Otherwise, close your mouth. Her friends had to hold her back. They dragged her toward cabin five while the other campers made way to avoid her flailing feet. Annabeth stared at me. I couldn't tell whether she was just grossed out or angry at me for dousing her. What? I demanded. What are you thinking? I'm thinking, she said, that I want you on my team for Capture the Flag. And there we have it, folks. Our second chapter for the night, our final chapter for the night. And now, on to some of our traditions. Everyone, thank you very, very much for listening. Uh, Hannah, welcome to Scooter Patrol, and it is fantastic to have you here. It is wonderful to see you. I hope you're doing well. Everybody, tonight... <laughs> tonight we have read through another couple of chapters, and we've had another fantastic time. We are... We're, look, we're trying here. <laughs> Obi, Obi says, Annabeth's voice works great. Nice job. I appreciate it. Like I said, I'm still sort of easing my way into it, so I'm going to try and be careful. Uh, but Shotzi, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And y'all, folks, I am, I'm really hoping that you are you're having a good time with this. I certainly am. You know, we're, we're finding our way through the voices, but uh, overall, like, 
it's a pretty good way to start off a book here, is it not? You know, we're, we're trying to kind of like get our bearings and we're learning a lot at the same time, but they're keeping it very like action oriented, right? There, there's stuff happening all the time. And we constantly get this feeling that Percy has experienced things like this before. Percy is experienced in this lifestyle of moving to a new spot, having to reestablish yourself. Jem says, my screen crashed again. Don't worry. Fortunately, this is not a, this is not a terribly like visually intensive part. I want to say thank you to some people over in discord i want to say thank you to my discord artists in the pj art chat and we've got a new one from lol9dh which is boy that's a mouthful but hey i will call you what you wish to be called um i have some requests put in for next week and we've got some new stuff already coming up but i want to say thank you very much to tenacia uh who was responsible for let's see is it this one it is indeed tenacia from over in discord thank you a ton for this and then we have got uh let me see there was another one in there um bells thank you very much for getting us connected with this one y'all it's been wonderful to to sort of look through the art oh yeah no this one's from this one's from discord as well uh also got connected uh by bells so bells thank you a bunch um and everyone actually everyone actually putting their own art into this that is wonderful uh, please be careful that we are doing entirely new creations. Um, for instance, I'm trying to avoid things like, uh, you know, using things directly from uh, from like Rick Reardon's website, um, that sort of thing. Like, I want to, I want this to be a totally new thing, partially because, you know, if if uh, if I can't afford to be paying people to do this, I don't want to like be be yoinking their stuff. So um, this is this has got to be totally volunteer based. Uh, as long as it's totally original, we should be good to go. Everyone, thank you a ton for everything that you've shared. Uh, we've got some great artists, and I'm very very happy uh, that you all have decided to share your talent with us. That's wonderful. Thank you a bunch. Let's see. Now, what do we think of our chapters so far? What do we think of everything that we've seen thus far? We've of course learned a lot, and then in this, you know, in this chapter, I think we've sort of we've sort of hit the the they're the sort of peaks and valleys, right? We get these sort of like peaks where we think we understand a little bit more than before, and then now we're back in this valley because we know right? We know we are looking at Greek mythology here. Fantastic. Good. Great. It's, it is alive and well underneath the modern day life. Good. Great. Good. Fantastic. White. So what's the deal with all these cabins? Why are some of them empty? If it's just a matter of like having, having, I don't know, like a, a mascot for one of them, it shouldn't really matter who's in what cabin, right? Why are we stacking everyone in cabin 11? Hmm. Very strange. We had this idea that we were learning a little bit and now we've got a lot more questions. Yeah, lo-fi Sam. Yes, indeed. Yes, absolutely. It's, but it's, it, I don't know, it means so much more to me to, than just lo-fi Sam. Now that I've started putting more stuff outside the window. Um, everyone, of course, of course, uh, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories for anyone who is just joining us. If you would like to know more about the show or you would like to share about the show, this is the link with which to do that. Uh, Van Saves Live says, and some gods slum it with humans a lot. So there is that thing, isn't there? There's that thing. We're going to be learning an awful lot more about this, but, um, you know, sort of keep keep track of that for your own selves, I would say. Keep keep track of that idea. Um, keep track of this 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 influence from from the Greek pantheon, from from Greek mythology. What I want to talk about for just a moment before we go on to our our bad, bad beans tradition I want to talk just a moment about our protagonist. That is, if you're doing kind of a, a study of this or you want to keep some notes or just want to uh, have some idea of the main ideas here. Put this one under protagonist. Um, talking about Percy, right? We've learned a little bit about Percy before. We know that Percy comes from uh, a situation where he's doing some of these things a lot. He's got these ideas about himself. We've always seen them thus far as as 
well, through Percy's eyes as weaknesses, right? These are things that Percy considers weaknesses in himself, his inattention to, to, to detail, his inability to focus, his dyslexia. A couple of those things have just been resolved by right, right now. We're going to talk about those first. And then I want to talk about for a moment, his strengths that he's come up with from this. So we're going to talk about the strengths in just a moment, but the things that he considered weaknesses before. We've just gotten some insight into those, right? Just now from Annabeth, uh, Annabeth, sorry. I'm going to try, I, I was I was toying with um, uh, some different voices and so I messed with some different names to better fit the voice, but different pronunciations of the name. Annabeth, I think it is. Um, but taken together, it's almost a sure sign. The letters float off the page when you read. Diagnosed with dyslexia, probably ADHD too. Annabeth is saying that these are things that aren't just like hard, these aren't just... Percy has a bunch of stuff, right? These are, these come from somewhere specific. Your senses are better than a regular mortal's. Now we don't know what exactly this means yet, but Annabeth is really hinting strongly that there is something, something about Percy, maybe something about the rest of these folks too, that is not quite, not quite on the same precise level as the rest of his peers, like the people that he went to school with. The ADHD. You're impulsive, can't sit and still in the classroom. It's battlefield reflexes. Your brain doesn't quite pick up words properly, so you've got this dyslexia. Well, it's because your brain is hardwired for ancient Greek to, to read that instead. These are all things that are sort of being explained, but now I want to talk about some of the things that are kind of strengths of Percy's because of some of the things that he has sort of had to get good at. Now, when I talk about strengths, I don't want to, I don't want to ever give the impression that like, um, I, I, I consider this overtly and, you know, a, a perfectly good experience. I think many strengths come from bad situations. So I don't want to ever give the impression that I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a great, it's great that he, he went through life like this in, in this confusion and this kind of constant moving around. I'm not thinking that's great, but I do think we can assess some of the, some of the habits that come out of this. Um, and, and think about ways that they could be turned into strengths. For instance, uh, his, his ability to understand, sort of like read the room, I guess, is the most common way of saying it. Um, when, when, we are, when we are reading the room here, Percy has this idea that he needs to kind of establish himself, and he wants to do that on his own terms. He doesn't want someone to come in and rescue him. Now, of course, we've seen with Harry Potter the ways in which, you know, that sort of like fierce independence can, you know, that can, that can hurt your mission sometimes. But I also think there's, there's some strength to the way that, that Percy's trying to attack this. And I think it comes from his experience. I think it comes from, from his, uh, his need to do this in other places. Uh, again, I don't, I don't, I don't say that it's a positive thing. He had to go through some of these things, but I'm hoping we can draw something positive about the, the way that he has grown from these experiences. Man Saves Lives says, since some of them are way more loaded than others, I wonder if kids with certain parents are likely to get picked off, thus the empty cabins. Uh, an interesting question. Uh, Shotzi says, uh, so it totally makes sense that even though their kids are half-bloods, they wouldn't want their kids uh, rooming with another god's kid. There is, boy, if there's one thing, and I don't think this is much of a spoiler, if there's one thing that we can really know about the Greek mythology before we go into this whole story, constantly butting heads very jealous individuals. They are very, um, they're very kind of human in their attitudes. Uh, in, in many religious traditions, um, which Greek mythology once was, and for a very narrow group of people now still is, uh, this, this mythology, you know, of 
for for most religions, I would say, there is this sort of like esoteric, very non-human aspect to uh, to all of the the greater powers in in these various traditions. Uh, you know, Judeo-Christian, Islamic, these 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 different traditions, many times, almost always, have this picture of higher powers that are totally different, totally impossibly different from humans. Whereas in Greek mythology, these people were as messed up, like some of them were party animals, some of them were totally like despicable, some of them were sort of paragons of goodness. Uh, they were as complicated and as good and bad as it seems any group of human beings is. Mennonite says, I don't know, from Perseus' experiences, it doesn't seem like the gods really care about the mortal realm. That's going to be another great question, right? Dionysus is the first god, and maybe the only god, maybe not the only god, who knows, that we've really experienced in the world thus far. The rest of them still seem pretty distant. And he's only here because he's being punished. What involvement are they going to have in the real world? We're going to find out more and more, aren't we? Well, everyone, these are things I want you to keep track of. Keep an eye on our protagonist and the ways that his, his life Percy's life has kind of guided him into some things that, much in the same way as Harry Potter, much in the same way as many of our other characters, um, you know, these these experiences might serve him as as strengths, might serve him as flaws, and I'll be curious if y'all sort of like ping back at me with ideas when you have them. Uh, of course, I don't stream all the way through my week, and many of my streams aren't related to this, so if you want to talk about them, I would very much encourage you to head over to the Discord. That is where we have our midweek discussions, and uh, that is where we can be talking about all sorts of stuff like this. I love talking about it. Okay, everyone, we have a tradition to uphold. Would you all please join me in summoning the Bean Queen? I, I just something off the dome. Frankly, that's kind of Tuna's uh, <laughs> big theme song, but hey, we had to do something. Okay, now I believe they're in the bottom drawer of that one. Again, with the reorg, you know, I think uh, just bring the whole, like, the, the whole bucket out, I think. That'd be the easiest way. Maybe it won't. I'll leave it up to you. You are the queen of beans, after all. Off to bed, says Shotzi. Off to bed. Shotzi, thank you very, very much for joining us today. <laughs> b, -b, b bean screen. That's right. Yes, indeed. Okay. Just, just rip the band-aid off. That actually wasn't that bad. Um, it wasn't that bad. Okay, Percy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All hail the Bean Queen, says Lisa Hall. Everyone, this is our Bad Beans tradition. Now, what the heck is Bad Beans? Well, here, we go ahead and uh, we brew up some very bad beans. Uh, this is our Bad Bean Brew right here. Um, this is... A big, uh, you know, big tradition where I go ahead and, you know, I will add bad beans onto the pile as I try Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans. Now, most of our bad beans right now are, the bad ones are real spicy. That's sort of the phase that we're in with our bad beans. We, we might get some additional ones. We might get some different ones at different times. Right now, bad beans equal very, very spicy beans. Um... Uh, everyone who has, uh, who has shared about the show, that is the, that's the way to add beans to the pile. So if you bring someone else in and, uh, and I can see that they've, you know, jumped on the, uh, jumped aboard Scooter Patrol, um, of course you get to, you get to suggest a bean for us to take care of here next. Um, you need a, some, some scratch paper, don't you? I don't remember why I put that. I put it down there. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yes, organization. Well, you put this in there with it. Yeah, it's fine. I think that's the same. It's the same one. Um, tis indeed. So, there you are. Your regal ledger. 
Um, of course, the other way is to share about this on social media. So I keep an eye on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, anything of mine that you sort of share around, uh, if you use the uh, the hashtag flying sidecar or my handle. Honestly, both is probably the best way for me to be able to see you, but at Sidecar Stories, uh, that is the best way to add beans to the pile. So let's see who we've got this week. Of course, we've got Lisa Hall as per usual. Um, I will say, I will say full disclosure, instead of using my break to check who has been, uh, who has been throwing in, I used it to hang out with Cass. I know, I know, now I'm behind, but hey, here we are. This is the deal. Um, oh, indeed. Okay. Uh, they're going to be in that, that little uh, tray, which is probably underneath my backpack, I believe. Um, so yes, we've got Lisa. Um, I think it's a, it's a bit of a lighter week this week than it was in the past, but um, let's see. We've also got Mike Steele. Mike, who I believe is Van Saves Lives, if I remember. Wunderbar. So, uh, Van, that one is for you. Um, let's see. Let's see what else we have. Say again? I believe that's who we've got so far. Um, that is over on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, And let's talk about Instagram. Let's talk about that, Graham, everybody. Rawit says, all I'm seeing is that Dionysus' father punished him by sending him to the camp to help train youths. Um, I think you're on the right track there. Um, let's see. Let's see. Who do we have? Um, I think, I think we might have a pretty light week here. That's fine. Cause we're, frankly, we're a little bit over, bring we're a little bit over the, uh, um, I don't know if we had anybody, uh, who like mentioned that they were brought by somebody else. Oh. I don't think that we did. I thought you said, oh, another one brought by this person. Uh, well, it was another, it was another person with their, their name started with Obi, OBI. Um, and so I thought that they might be related in some way. It's the same person, it turns out. Rowlett says, I'm on a fence. Uh, and Cobra says, so same as Santa. Sounds a little bit Santa, if we're being honest. This, I believe, was something like the voice that I used for Santa Claus, because I have actually... Look, I don't want to brag, but I have made an appearance as Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, I was Santa Claus and my brother got up and he does such a good, it's not like, it's not like a one-to-one -one impression of, um, of, uh, Will Ferrell from Elf, but it is just a very good representation of the energy that Will Ferrell brings as Elf. It's not like you're going to look at him and think, oh, dead ringer, but the attitude is so good. And so, yeah, my brother and I went as, uh, Elf and Santa respectively. Um, and it was... A it was a great little one uh, until I was working on my voices and I realized I sound just like the guy from There Will Be Blood. The kids didn't know that. The kids, yeah, the kids would have no way to know. I know. drink your milkshake. I know I've said it on stream before. Thank you all for bearing with me. Everyone. Is Lisa Hall and Mike Steele? I think so. I think it's oh, just man, Lisa Hall and Mike Steele this week. Um, so everyone, thank you a bunch. Um, we, of course, have had ones from, from past weeks, and I appreciate everyone who has shared about the show. Uh, again, if you are, are you a big tradition man, Sam? It depends on the tradition. Um, really. Yeah, I would say overall, no, frankly. Um, he doesn't really care. Um, I would say, it's not that I don't care, but I do think that some of the stuff, like, built up around traditions, like, some of them, some of them bug me, frankly. I would say, I would say it's more often that, like, I'm annoyed by something, so I try to reject it, than... I just simply, like, don't care about it. I don't know. Maybe your take is different. I guess I am kind of, like, 
You're I'm a pretty. Mil- am I a Grinch? <laughs> I'm not a Grinch. <laughs> You're I would, not a Grinch. I would never steal Christmas. I would just let you have Christmas. <laughs> I would just. I'll just leave Christmas sort of where it lies for it's you. It's not even just Christmas though. Like I feel like you don't really care about traditions in general. Yeah, I think in general, uh, you've brought me around. You're probably right. I don't think I'm quite screwed or Grinch, but yeah, I do. You're I do not, like, have grumpy about it usually, but you just don't care. Just another day. Yep. <laughs> Your tra- tradition is rejecting traditions. That was, frankly, an impossible word to say for some reason, but Emmy Lou, I think you're probably kind of on the right track. Uh, Tanisha, were you in here before? I wanted to. I wanted to make sure that you saw. We used some of the art that you brought in today, so thank you very much, Tanisha. I appreciate it. Um, okay. Sorry. Yeah, I I'm think sorry. it's okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> she. Do you hear that teacher energy? It just spilled forth. Like, okay, I need to take charge of this situation. She was so ready. Still just talking. <laughs> That's right. Hey, you're on the Bean Queen. Do you uh, want to leave this one? You even look like a teacher. She's got her little, she's got her notebook here on her arm, and uh, she's sort of holding it on her hip. She's got her cardigan right. on. Good old Vince's Lives, aka Mike Steele. Go ahead and put your uh, preference in chat. Are we going to do Lisa's Van, your first? requests. I am the Herald. Are we just going to do Lisa's first night? Um, I think, I think, yeah, let's do... Throw caution to the wind. Yeah, I think so. It has to have a deep impact. It, it, you know, regardless of how things go later, we'll do the nice one first. So whatever happens, happens. Again, everyone, thank you so much for sharing about the show. Uh, if you do so on social media, I can track it down. Otherwise, um, if you bring a friend and they mention you're the one what brung them, uh, you get to add it as well. And everyone, the best way, if you would like to share around, I just realized how, how heinous that, like... <laughs> <laughs> that is, I need to adjust that. Um, the best way to share this around, and frankly, like, I, I, I think this is the one we're going to go with, like, here to the future. This is, this will always be the share link. This link tree right here, uh, that is the one to do. So, everyone, thank you a ton. Uh, and Jade Dragon, Van Saves Lives, uh, y'all, thank you a bunch for for uh, filling up the uh, the big bad bean cauldron here. Is that me or you? Okay. Uh, thanks a bunch. It's been wonderful. Let's do this thing. All right. So we're gonna do Lisa Halls first. Lisa, Lisa, Lisa has I think shared every single week since we started this tradition like this. Um, uh, maybe not at the very beginning, but basically what I'm saying is Lisa has not missed a week. Lisa has not missed a week, so Lisa, thank you a bunch. I appreciate it a lot. All right, let's see what we got here. Luckily, I don't need to be worried about it being very spicy, and because I haven't already had a spicy one. It's not going to be like a bad, weird, hijacked, spicy flavor. All right, let's see. Memnite said, I was sad to miss this week. Don't forget, everyone. Uh, the, the cutoff is now, but if you do it right now, it'll count for next week. If you do it right now, then you can say, you know, you can you can have people come and watch the VODs. Remember, they will be up on YouTube um, 24 hours before the next live stream. So on Wednesday, you can find it there. Um, but you can find it here on Twitch for the next two weeks. Uh, so keep that in mind. Yeah, do it up, Memnite. Never you fear. And it, yeah, if y'all think of it in the middle of a stream, you can always share then. And then, you know, if I, if I catch it beforehand, it can be for that stream. Otherwise, I will make sure to get you for the next one. Sneeze. Sneeze so hard, you shook your headphones off. Yeah, I almost lost my headphones. Ooh. Oh, baby. Okay. This one 
It's pretty sweet. It's just a little, little bit tart. I think it just tastes kind of blue to me, so I'm going to go with mixed berry. Another sneeze, huh? Wow. Good grief. It tastes blue to you? I think it tastes kind of blue to me. What do we think? Blueberry? Final answer? Uh, sorry, mixed berry? Mixed berry? Final answer? It's champagne. Is it God. champagne? <laughs> it doesn't taste bitter enough to be champagne. All champagne is nonsense. It tastes blue to me. It does taste blue to me. Was it blue colored, but it's champagne? Is it blue champagne? You can, legally, you have to tell me if it's blue champagne or it's entrapment. It's not blue champagne. Dang it. Okay. All right. Very <laughs> well. entrapment. So. Lisa, thank you a bunch. Um, and do you have a... All right, fantastic. Uh, this one's for you, Van. Van, thank you very much, as per always. And Memnite, thank you, I guess, for keeping the tally. <laughs> oh, I'm in a huff now. Memnite. It's good to have you back, by the way, Memnite. We missed you. All right, here we go. The final bean for the evening. Oh, oh, that's right, sorry. All right. Now, Van, do I trust you? Van? I promise I'm not washing away the bean. I just need to take a drink. All right, here we go. Jay Dragon, thank you very much. I appreciate that a bunch. Oh, you can hear the you can hear the Chiron in my voice. Oh, Van, that's a bean I know. <laughs> Stop it! Don't do it. Don't. I know all you know is doing it to him. Have you considered not doing it to him? I know doing it to him. Dang it. <laughs> you just, she's like, she just took a very intimidating pose. Um, my favorite of the night, Sweet Baby Puppies. Oh, Sweet Baby oh, Puppies is, is like, that's some old school. Yeah, it is. That's a Sam standby. Man saves lives. I think you gave me one I know. Caramel corn, my sir. I believe we've got pronoun tags over in the Discord now, so y'all can make y'all can sort of let me know for sure. Um, but yeah, caramel corn. Final answer. Are you sure it's caramel corn? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's caramel corn. You're trying to lead me astray. Popcorn? It's caramel corn. Car caramel corn. Blow my direction. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. That is buttered popcorn, my guy. It's caramel corn. I know this. It's, it's, it's got that very distinct... Allow me to give you... It's got that very distinct toasted sort of like waffle cone kind of flavor. I'm telling you this. Allow me to give you a caramel I don't care what the bucket says. I don't, I don't, I don't give a dang what the bucket say. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, with the little spots of caramel on it. It looks different. Eat it. Taste them side by side. Okay, let me let me get a, a clean palate here, otherwise it'll sort of melt together. That's right, y'all didn't know there would be bean forensics tonight, did you? Alright. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. She's the bean queen. I'm the only one eating these things all the time. So I eat like Not true. I eat so many of these in a week. She doesn't know what they taste like. She only I, knows what they look like. Are you she's got she's got I'm the back of it. She's got the She doesn't I eat probably 3 for every she, one you She's eat. on the phone. She's not even talking to us right now. This is just me and you right now. She, <laughs> I eat the I eat these. I know what they taste like. I sound crazy right now. <laughs> Conspiracy All right, here we go. It's the same bean. Hold on. It's the it's the it's the same bean that you handed me oh. just now. Um 
Boy, that's not. There we go. All right. Kind of a speckled, sort of pale. That one is so much darker. It looks like, honestly, it looks like cayenne pepper on milk. Just to give a nice, a nice little color reference here. All right, let's see. Or paprika, paprika on milk. Do you taste the difference? Hope Sophie says that one looks different than before. That was the intent. That was the intent. She wanted to give me the one that that she's pretty confident is actually caramel corn, so that I could t- taste the difference between the two. So I can prove him wrong. And the question is, do they taste different? And the answer is, a little bit. And I'm embarrassed. All right, everybody, we're gonna raid over to Half Bit now. It's been fantastic. I love you all. Um, we're gonna raid to Half Bit. Um, Half Bit is a. Um, uh, he's another streamer. Uh, he is sort of like here. He's here in the pit crew. Um, he does games streams. And so um, I've said it before. I think some of the best stories being told are in tabletop RPGs and video games. They, they're they sort of overlooked. But Mr. Halfbit is the ranger taking us through uh, some of the beautiful narratives happening in in uh, uh, in games. Um, and you're going to be able to find more um, on him over there. Um, Mr. Halfbit is right here you can go ahead and join the raid right now we're gonna head over there and say hi to him everyone if you want to find out more about the other folks um that are friends of the channel um you can follow this link this is uh link tree sidecar sidekick instead of sidecar stories um that is the link for them you can find people like tuna sunday um who has been like uh basically the other sidecar stories streamer for quite a while um uh, you can find him uh, uh, and his schedule over in the Discord, um, and then uh, more folks like Louis the Goat Lady and uh, Hogwarts Hippie. Everyone, it has been a fantastic night, and I hope you will all enjoy hanging out with Half Bit. Adios, bye bye.